0: Well, as they're transitioning, church, we're going to continue today in our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke that we have titled, Upside Down. So this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Young disciples, if you haven't grabbed a guide, they're right over here on the table. And you need to write down that passage, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. You can find that on page 878 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. Today, I'm going to be talking about the initiator. And after walking through the passage, I'm going to put before us the question, what happens when you respond to God's initiative? I'm going to give you two answers. First, you see that debts are canceled out, and you see that profits are cashed in. So with that said, I know you just sat down, many of you, but stand with me again to honor the reading of God's word. And if you're not able to stand, please stand with us in your hearts. Again, today's passage is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Church, hear the word of the Lord. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's say this together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now I know many of my stories from overseas don't seem real a lot of times, and you may get tired of them a lot of times. But I think we need to hear them, and so here's another one for you. High in a remote mountain area were two villages on separate sides of a massive gorge. If you see the Lent and missions cover that we have, it's a picture of that area. One of those villages was Muslim, and the other one was Orthodox. And for centuries, they had been bitter enemies, even firing weapons at one another from across the gorge. On the Orthodox side, here's what happened. We led a young man to a true understanding of the gospel, and then he led his family and the rest of the village to faith in Jesus. And then on the Muslim side, the imam of the village had had a dream about Jesus, And so when we arrived and shared the gospel with him, he was immediately ready and overjoyed to receive it. And then he led his family and the rest of the village to Christ. Got a lot of good content to teach at the mosque when you just trusted in Jesus. And so that's what he did. Isn't that amazing? Except the formerly Muslim village had no one to disciple them. You see, because God's mission is not just about Getting in there and getting the gospel and getting out of there. But it's about making disciples and helping to plant healthy churches. And so the young Orthodox man was being discipled by us. And then he was teaching the people of his village. And they were all growing and flourishing. And perhaps here the old rivalry would win the day. And the Muslim background believers would be left to spiritually starve with no one to teach them. That was until... The young man's father showed just how much his heart had changed. He was not a rich man in the form of money, but he was wealthy in the expression of a faithful and gifted Christian son. And yet, out of deep happiness in knowing Jesus, he not only sent his son to go over to the other village, which would have been dangerous considering all those years of rivalry, no, he not only sent his son, but he told him this. You are now their son. I give you to them. This was a form officially of adoption. It was like, here, like take the very treasure of my heart because I have found a newer and greater treasure. Now contrast what happened there with the rich young ruler from last week. If you were here, you remember that story? If you weren't, I'll tell you. It's a rich young ruler. Comes to Jesus. Jesus says, hey, sell all that you have and follow me. And he walks away sad because he had great wealth and could not let it down. And there was a man here whose expression of wealth was in the form of money. But when he encountered Jesus, he walked away deeply sad because he would not surrender the treasure of his heart. And interestingly... He was the one who had taken the initiative toward Jesus. You remember that? Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how can I earn or deserve God's favor? Y'all, when we see ourselves as the ones who have to take the initiative to get God's attention, it never turns out well for us. In fact, things go so poorly in the story that Jesus eventually says this, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Naturally, then, our assumption becomes that rich people cannot be saved. Or, if they can be saved, then they cannot be truly changed. Well, isn't it interesting that Luke intentionally includes a story here that shows us the power of God's initiating grace to overcome even the deepest treasure of the heart that we would cling to and walk away sad rejecting Jesus Luke includes it here he shows that that which is impossible with man is possible with God that indeed the rich can be saved and so let's walk through this story together we begin reading it in verse one he entered that is Jesus entered Jericho and was passing Through, young disciples, that's the city you need to write down, Jericho. And one of the things that I would have you keep in mind throughout this passage is an Old Testament connection to the city of Jericho. Anybody remember what happened in Jericho in the Old Testament? Anybody with me here? Yes, where the walls came tumbling down. That's right. We just preached about this back during Advent. Yes, the walls came down at God's command. But more importantly, it's where God took the initiative to save the most unlikely of persons. Who was it? Rahab, a prostitute. A woman who would have been despised in the city and certainly viewed as a traitor to her people. And in the same way, Perhaps the chief purpose of Jesus choosing to pass through Jericho was to save the most unlikely of persons. Let's meet him. Verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So here's some irony for us. The name Zacchaeus means pure or righteous. But this guy was a chief tax collector. Not just the man viewed as a traitor because he helped the Roman occupiers. This was the guy over the whole system. Okay? So think of it like a pyramid scheme. All the extra cuts that each tax collector takes, he takes cuts from their cuts. And so no wonder he was crazy rich. Not to mention that Jericho was a wealthy trade town. Y'all, people would have hated his stinking guts listen when taxes get raised for you do you feel warmly about the politician who makes that decision no you don't and in this situation they're being taxed to a point where maybe they can't feed their families they would have hated this guy which helps us to understand what's happening in verse three and he was seeking to see who jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature now along with everybody else Zacchaeus has heard about this famous person, Jesus of Nazareth, and he wants to see him. But his inability to see isn't simply because he's short. That's what we usually think of in this passage. But think about the scenario with me. No one in the crowd is going to make room for Zacchaeus to be able to access Jesus, are they? He would have been seen as the least worthy guy in the whole city to be near a holy man. And this is often what keeps us from Jesus too, isn't it? Like, Put yourself in the story here. It's the crowd that keeps us away. What people will think about you if you follow Jesus or, or stand up and speak up about him. Those of you who are students in the room, how many of you are students in a room? You go to school, you have not graduated out of school yet. Wave at me. I see you. Okay. You all know this better than probably any of us. If you respond to God's initiative in your life, what are your classmates going to say about you? What are your teachers even going to say about you? You know it. You feel it. Maybe just because you're in a Christian family and go to church it's hard enough to mention that. And what people will say and think about you. Or if you say no to the sinful things that your classmates are doing. I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that's true. How are people going to treat you? And if you're going to get close to Jesus, you're going to have to get over the crowd, aren't you? And that's literally what Zacchaeus does here in verse 4. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And disciples, you need to write that down. Why did he climb up into a tree? Because he wanted to see Jesus. So what do you think the crowd did when they saw little Zacchaeus climb a tree? What do you think they did? They were amazed. What in the world's going on? They clapped for him? No, man. They would have jeered. They would have laughed their heads off. They would have ridiculed him. In American culture, we would say that Zacchaeus was really like putting himself out there. Like this was more than a risk, this was a guaranteed way to get made fun of. All right? But you know what? Zacchaeus was over the crowd. He got over the crowd. He didn't care what they thought. He swallowed his pride. He lost his dignity. He became like a child. Like, if there's a parade happening, or something significant in public, who's going to go climb a tree in front of everyone? Right? A child. And we don't even think anything about it, but when a grown man loses his dignity and climbs a tree like a child... It means something. And Jesus says, guess what? You must become like to enter his, ch- his, his kingdom. Like a child. See what's happening here? And so what this tells us is that God had already been at work in Zacchaeus's heart long before this situation. Zacchaeus had some sort of deep desperation to see Jesus. And I don't know, maybe it was because he had become such a social outsider already. Maybe it was from the years of pain of having people make fun of him because of his height. I don't know. But he was on the margins, wasn't he? And Jesus is always initiating on the margins. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So of all the people that Jesus could possibly have engaged with, he gives his attention, and we're told in two different directions, first of all to a blind beggar, that's the previous passage, and second of all to a chief tax collector, the most unlikely person in all of Jericho. And what Jesus says communicates not only personal knowledge here. He calls Zacchaeus by name, doesn't he? By name. But it also communicates great urgency. He says, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. It's like Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, like broken, sinful, terrible Zacchaeus is exactly the kind of person that I'm looking for. Broken, sinful, terrible Zacchaeus is the primary reason I came to Jericho. And if that's offensive to you, then maybe you're not yet the kind of person that Jesus is looking for today. And if that is glorious to you, then maybe God's already been at work in your heart before today. You see, Jesus is over the crowd too. He doesn't care what people will say about who he chooses. In fact, the way he orchestrates this situation intentionally displays to everyone who he chooses. Sinners. Completely upside down, isn't it? But what will Zacchaeus do? Well, that brings us to our big question. What happens when you respond to God's initiative? The reality is that we are all sinners. And God is initiating his grace toward all of us today. But how do you know if you are actually responding to it? That's an important question. Eternity may hang in the balance there. So what happens when God's initiating grace comes home to stay with you? What does that look like? Well, here is Zacchaeus' response in verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully the language of Zacchaeus response is exactly the same language as Jesus initiative isn't it he, Jesus is like hurry and come down so Zacchaeus hurried and came down <laughs> he obeyed the command of Jesus yes but he did so recognizing the amazing opportunity that was laid before him in the message it puts it like this Zacchaeus couldn't believe his good luck. He believed because he just couldn't believe how good this was. He receives Jesus, we are told, first of all, publicly. This is no small thing. Remember the crowd? Remember the grumbling that's already happening? What will they say when Jesus ends up at Zacchaeus' house? Well, we're told in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now grumbling or muttering is almost never a good thing in both the Old and the New Testament. And here they all notice everyone griped at Jesus. This is not directed towards Zacchaeus anymore. This is directed at Jesus. They loved Jesus' miracles... But his taste in people, not so much. You know what I'm saying? To share a meal with someone shady in that day automatically made you a partner in crime with them. And so for Zacchaeus to publicly receive Jesus is a work of grace. Because it requires him not only to get over the crowd's disdain for him as a man, but how then he would reflect poorly on Jesus. Some of you are afraid to follow Jesus or to speak up for Jesus because you don't want it to look bad on Jesus. And Jesus is like, are you a sinner? Well, I don't care. I'm associating myself with you. You are who I came for. But there's more here. Zacchaeus also receives Jesus privately. He welcomes him into the most intimate space in his life, his home. And that's probably where no one in the city would have been caught dead. That's where Jesus goes. And it's also where all the results of of Zacchaeus' sin would have been clearly on display. All the overabundance, all the taking advantage of people to his own benefit would have been fully on display there in the house. There's no, like, shuffling or hiding it away. Jesus is going to see it all. That's where Jesus goes. But none of that matters. Zacchaeus receives Jesus, not embarrassingly, but joyfully. Why do you think he does this? Well, according to American Evangelical Christianity, we would say that Zacchaeus does this because he's inviting Jesus into his heart. But that's getting the order of grace backwards. You see, Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus, and then Jesus came in. No, no, no. Jesus invited his own self. (laughs) <laughs> right i am must come to your house today okay look at this listen to this revelation chapter 3 verse 30 behold i stand at the door and knock you didn't come to my house you didn't invite me in i'm inviting myself in but i have enough dignity to let you choose whether or not that door is going to open But I'm the one doing the initiative. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, guess what? I will come in and judge the messiness of his house and I will clean it up. No, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's what he does with Zacchaeus. And that's what he wants to do with you. The posture of salvation is not you going down on one knee asking Jesus to marry you and him saying, OMG, yes I do, I do. It's not. It's just the opposite. Except you are the one person in town that nobody wants to marry. And he pushes past the crowd. He goes down on one knee and he calls you by name by name josh that hits a lot of you jason that hits a lot of you too you know what i'm saying rebecca david emily nathan marcus down on one knee will you be my bride and if you understand grace at all you say what omg yes i do i do Okay? And I know that's not very masculine as a metaphor. Okay? Let me think of something. Uh, you're in the octagon for a fight. <laughs> Jesus gets in there and knocks you out. That's not is that not how you do it. That's, okay. Knocks you out cold. When you come to, because they put the smelling sauce in front of you because you're out so cold. When you come to, Jesus is there and he says, even though you're the literally the worst person, the weakest person who's ever gotten this octagon ever. I'm going to be your coach and your agent. I'm initiating to you. You see that? And you say, okay, all right, let's do this. You got me. When you see the order of God's grace rightly and you respond to it, here's the first thing that happens. Here's the first answer to our question. You see that debts are canceled out. Zacchaeus is a financial guy. So we'll use financial terms. When it comes to money, he doesn't have any debt. In fact, he has a great surplus. But when it comes to sins against others, he has a mountain of debts, doesn't he? He owes people tremendous amounts of money. You open up the books. All right, Mona, you with me? You open up these books, and you take into account the pyramid scheme, Zacchaeus has probably defrauded everyone in the whole city at some point in great measure. And yet amazingly, we read this in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, Let me explain this a little bit. When there was voluntary restitution in the Old Testament, that is, all right, I wronged somebody. I voluntarily, I willingly am going to take care of that, pay them back. The law only required the original amount plus one-fifth on top of it. But Zacchaeus voluntarily gives four times the original amount extorted. This was the amount that was actually required when you were convicted of theft. What's Zacchaeus saying? I've been a thief. I've been a taker. But now I'm a giver. Also in the Old Testament, the general expectation was to tithe 10% of your income to the poor. Now if you gave 20%, it was considered greatly generous. And if you went above 20%, that was considered unwise. It was a little bit too far. And yet Zacchaeus voluntarily gives half of his wealth to the poor. Like 20% is nothing to a man who's this rich. What's he saying? He's saying, I've been greedy. I've been a taker. But now for the joy that is set before me, I'm a giver. I'm a giver. I've used money to take advantage of people, but now I use it to serve people. And it feels good. You see, the debt that he owes to people is being canceled out, isn't it? And he's participating in that work. And don't miss the formality and the direction of this. Zacchaeus stood, we are told, and said to who? Who did he speak to when he said, I'm going to do these things? Did he say it to the crowd? No, he said it to the Lord. He's taking the posture of a public address. It's a confession that's made before all people without shame. And yet even though it relates to the public, it's directed toward Jesus. You see, any form of sin is ultimately a rebellion against God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, says David in Psalm 51 verse 4. This is what we call true repentance. It flows from a heart that's been changed by God's initiating grace. You see, Zacchaeus sees that his spiritual debt has been canceled out. That's what enables us to repent. Now, some of you are tracking in the same old sins Over and over and over. Let me not just say it that way. Let me say it this way. Some of us, let me include myself here, are tracking in the same old sins over and over and over because we are trying to repent in order to get God's grace. Forgive me, Lord, and I'll never do it again. Anybody prayed that prayer? This is the last time, Lord, I will never do it again. tomorrow, you do it again. But what we have to learn from Zacchaeus here is that grace is actually what enables you to repent in the first place. Grace is what changes the heart such that you want to change the actions. Like you can, you can walk in the ways of repentance all day where you're changing the outside of things. You're shuffling the, sh- the chairs around on the surface. It's doing nothing down here because it takes God's grace to enable us to repent. Remember, we've been told that Zacchaeus is doing these things joyfully. Repentance, when it's legit in our hearts, is actually joyful. How upside down is that? So, I love getting to watch when people make the last payment on a tremendous amount of debt. So, seemingly insurmountable medical bills or credit card debt, or college loans, right? No one, when they finally do that, Jason, you correct me if I'm wrong, no one, when they finally pay off all that debt, are like, eh, not really a big deal, not a a big day, not a big moment for me. (laughs) No, man, they are like, yeah, we're free! Let's celebrate! All right, come on, let's, let's make an occasion of this, and let's never go back there again. And when they're Christians, they also find themselves saying, now let's be generous. God got us out of this. Let's enjoy being able to actually say yes speaks. We want to make sure that you're fully funded as you go you know, on mission. We can because we've made room in the budget. And that's what happens when you respond to God's initiative with repentance. You see that spiritual debts have been canceled out and you joyfully leave behind the ways that got you there in the first place. That's the first thing. But it doesn't stop there. Secondly, when you respond to God's initiating grace, you see that prophets are cashed in. And If it wasn't bad enough that Jesus chose to stay with Zacchaeus, what he says next would have set the crowd to grumbling at a whole new level. We read this in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Of all the places in Old Testament Jericho, God's salvation came to the house of a prostitute. Now, of all the places in New Testament Jericho, God's salvation came to the house of a chief tax collector. But that is the least offensive clause in Jesus' sentence. Why does salvation come to this house? Because Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. He is a, we might say, a true Jew. You see, it's very likely that Zacchaeus was considered worse than a Gentile. In fact, if y'all remember the parable of the uh, tax collector and the Pharisee, it showed us just that very thing. The tax collector felt like he could not even enter anywhere remotely close to God's presence in the temple. And you see that What Jesus is saying here is Zacchaeus is exactly the kind of person that God intended to produce when he chose Abraham and the people of Israel. What? That's crazy upside down. That would have enraged people. And so I'm like, was Jesus doing that to make people mad? Oh, you know, come on, let's instigate a riot here. No, here's what he meant. Salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house not because Zacchaeus repented, but because he believed in God's initiating grace. That's what Abraham did, right? Y'all remember the story of Abraham? The book of Joshua tells us that Abraham was worshiping false gods like his fathers when what happened? When he got it together and decided, oh, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to get it together now, I'm tired of these old gods. No, God showed up, initiated his grace to this very average guy, and he said to him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You know another way of saying that? Abraham, hurry and come down. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And I know this sounds crazy, but you're going to be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. You know what Abraham does? He hurries and comes down. And then later we are told this. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it counted to him as righteousness. Y'all, this is salvation. We might say By grace, through faith. Do you know what faith is? Here's another financial term that we'll use today. Faith is cashing in. Faith is cashing in. It's more than just saying like, I want to be right with God so that he'll leave me alone so that I won't go to hell. Faith is like, he said he wants to bless me so that I'll be a blessing and so that he'll be my treasure for forever. Like, I'm cashing in on that, baby. I'm cashing in. That's faith. I it's too good to be true. Therefore, I believe. Cashing in. Listen, man, one of the most tragic persons on the show alone. Anybody know the show Alone? Where it's a competition, people go out and live in the woods alone and try to survive as long as they can. And whoever makes it the longest without starving to death or being eaten by a bear or going crazy, they win like a million bucks. Okay, That's the show. One of the most tragic persons on that show ever was this guy, I forget what season it was, but he hit the jackpot and he caught a huge store of fish. And he knew how to like smoke it and store it and all that stuff so it wouldn't go bad. But the thing was, he conserved it so much, like he didn't eat it, that he ended up going into starvation and was eliminated from the competition, even though he should have easily beat everyone with a big old gut at the end. It's crazy tragic. You know what? He didn't cash in. He didn't cash in. Zacchaeus is like, man, y'all go ahead and gripe, crowd. I'm cashing in on this, okay? And that can be true for you today as well. Because Jesus says in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The climactic statement here draws directly from the book of Ezekiel. There the spiritual leaders of Israel are described as shepherds, shepherds who have only fed themselves and neglected the flock so that they are lost. And Ezekiel records that not only is God going to remove those shepherds, but he's going to replace them with his self. What he says is, I am the shepherd of Israel and I myself will seek the lost sheep and bring back the strayed and bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. You know what, my friends? That's more than a metaphor. Jesus Christ is that shepherd. He is that shepherd from the prophet Ezekiel. Recently I had someone who read Ezekiel 34 to me and said, that's you. You are a shepherd who feeds yourself and hurts the flock. And I was like, thank you for that. You don't have to read passages like that to me for me to lose sleep at night over my shortcomings as a shepherd. If the basis of your faith Depends on a lack of hypocrisy in Christians. Then you'll live your life grumbling. Victimized and distant from Jesus and others. But if your faith depends instead on a perfect shepherd. Then you'll live your life cashing in baby. Getting close. Believing by having a hard time believing your good luck. And that's how you know if you're responding to God's initiative. That's how you know. Church, we began today by describing a father who was wealthy in the expression of a faithful and gifted son. Yet who, out of deep happiness, not only sent his son to go teach, but said, You are now their son. I give you to them who was like, here, take the very treasure of my heart, for I have found a greater and more lasting treasure. Isn't that a picture of your heavenly Father? Think about this. God essentially says of Jesus, this will not only be my son, the son of God, but he will be your son. The Son of Man, born of man. I give him to you. I give you my very heart. I know what you'll do to him. I know you'll grumble against him and you'll eventually crucify him. But this is what a good shepherd does. This is how much I'm coming to seek and to save you. I can't be anything but what I am. The initiator. Coming for you. Friend, you are not the one who has to get God's attention. He has specifically chosen to pass through Louisville, Kentucky today. And he is set on saving the most unlikely of persons. Or reassuring the most unlikely of persons that he has already saved them. He is calling you by name. Even you on the margins. He knows what people will say about him if you follow him or speak up for him. But he doesn't care what the crowd thinks about who he chooses. Yeah, praise God. The question is, are you ready to get over the crowd today? Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. And he wants to come home to stay in the most intimate place in your life. Yes, all the results of your sin are already clearly on display there. But like, who cares? He's canceling them out. He's canceling them out. And so I ask you today, are you lost and in a tree? And that's, that's for you, the person who's never, never followed Jesus. And you are fully aware of it. And that's for those of you who have followed Jesus and yet you feel lost today because of how this week went or how this season has went or how the last 10 years has went. Are you lost and in a tree today? Do you know what Jesus' name means? Anybody know what the word Jesus means in Greek? Salvation. He saves salvation has come to your house today in the person of jesus christ so cash in on it baby cash in but zacchaeus is not the only character in this story is he the other character is the crowd and so i want to ask you today are you in the crowd are you grumbling over how jesus chooses terrible people Are you unwilling to come to Jesus or be happy with Jesus because of how he blesses hypocrites? You realize it takes a certain measure of self-righteousness to call out the self-righteousness of other people? Here's the invitation if that's you today. Swallow your pride. Lose your dignity. Become like a child again. Come to this table believer hyper focused on this truth what is communion but jesus saying to you i want to eat with you right we've talked about this physically he is not here he is in heaven awaiting his physical real return and so what do we do in the meantime because he literally can't come to my house and knock on my door and say i want to come in and eat with you He lays before you this beautiful gift of his church. A table with bread and wine. And he says, I want to eat with you. I want to eat with you every time we come to this table. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. So this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took a cup of wine and after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Today we are announcing that Jesus is here and he is saying, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So would you come? Those of you who have chosen not to follow him thus far in your lives, would you come today? Would today be the day where you encounter Jesus and say yes when he calls your name? If you're here today and you're already a baptized believer, our invitation for you is to come forward to break off a piece of bread, to dip it into the into the juice and to take it remembering what Christ has done for you and what he promises to do upon his return. There will be people in the back to pray with anyone who has any need. That is, hey, I don't know what it means to have faith in Jesus, but I hear what you're saying and I want to follow him. And you want to talk to somebody about that? Come back and talk to one of us. Let us pray with you. If you've got something going on in your life, and listen, man, there is so much going on in so many lives in this church. Would you come back and let us pray for you? I don't know what else to do in some of these situations except to take them to the Lord. we got a perfect shepherd, and we would be glad to help shepherd you toward him. Let's pray. Father, we bow our hearts before you in light of your mighty word. And Lord, I just want to say, I look forward to the day of getting to meet Zacchaeus and hear him talk about how much fun it was to cash it in, how crazy it was that Jesus, of all people, came to his house, and then to marvel likewise that he would come to us and do the same by the power of his spirit, through the preaching of his word, through the embodied Through his embodied presence and other people, other believers who spoke his word to us, who initiated toward us. We recognize in all these things that you are the great initiator and we thank you so much for it. If you had not first loved us, we would not have ever loved you. So Lord, have your way in this moment as we respond to you, as we come to the table. I just pray over your people who know you they would be able to come to this table visualizing you here saying I want to eat with you yeah even you even after this week I want to eat with you and for those who are here today and cannot come and eat this meal because they have never partaken of you that today would be the day where they get the feast that lasts forever in the person of Jesus Christ let them cash it in Lord those debts be canceled out in Jesus name amen